last week we talked about the template that Christ has given us of God the Father. You know, open arms, you know, prodigal son comes, you know, from a distance, has done all the madambis in the world, but the father counts nothing against him. Long before he even utters a word of repentance, you know, he's hugged, he's embraced, he's kissed, um, he starts his speech, there's no time for that, put on a robe on him, put on sandals, give him a signet ring, come on, slaughter the fattened calf, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. And, and, and that, that is Jesus giving us the heart of the Father. Because the Father in that parable that Jesus gives is his Father. He's thinking about God the Father. And, and what God does because of who he is, his amazing grace that sometimes we preach and say, say that, you know, the grace of God can even be scandalous, you know, um, in the people that he accepts and he loves. That's the heart of the Father. And the Father makes forgiveness look easy. But make no mistake, it's not easy. But when God does it, he makes it look so easy. Because of um, who he is, his abundant love, his amazing mercy, and, and, and just that, you know, he wants us, he brings us heaven. Um, even at the cross, at the most difficult moment, at the most painful moment, at the time that any human being would have hated and been angry at the people who have treated him so, he still manages to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. You don't, those are not the words you say when you're hanging from a cross, fighting for your life. God makes it look easy. But I want to say that when it comes to you and I, um, when we have to absorb the cost and the pain and the shame um, and the injustice that we have suffered, if forgiveness takes a journey. It's a journey. And, and we need to embrace ourselves to walk that journey of forgiveness. And we say forgiveness is costly. It's not free. It's costly because the forgiver absorbs the cost. We also want to say that it is not denial. It's not pretending that nothing happens to you. It's not belittling the pain that you felt, the injustice that was meted on you, and the circumstances that you find yourself as a result of what was inflicted on you. No. It's actually an acknowledgement of those things. And that's where the journey comes in. But forgiveness still remains a necessary duty for every believer. If you remember the good news in last week's sermon is that the father embraces, he's free, and he's happy to forgive, you know, and to celebrate you on your return home. The bad news is that the older brother is outside the house, represented by the kingdom of God. He who had said, I have never disobeyed you, steps out of the kingdom and begins to judge the father. This son of yours has come and now you slaughter the fattened calf for him. He's full of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness for his younger brother. Yet he was the good guy. He was the one in the kingdom. He's the one who had said, I have never disobeyed you even once. The danger of unforgiveness is that you who think is good and innocent, who was wrong, could find yourself outside the kingdom. Because of anger, and you become judgmental, even judging God. You have never slaughtered even a little good for me to celebrate with my friends. Really? So that's the bad news. That if we do not forgive, then we are in danger of being locked out of the kingdom like the older brother. As the younger brother, who is rebellious and has done all those wrong things, is in there partying and having a great time. Having been reconciled to the father. So then the work of forgiveness becomes a necessary duty for every believer. And hence the need for us to brace ourselves 
to walk the journey of forgiveness. Not pretending nothing happened, not belittling what happened, not avoiding the hard work that will mean going back down those, some of those dark tunnels, walking down memory lane, but bracing ourselves to walk the full journey and acknowledge what happened and then coming to a place where we can freely and fully forgive. Today I want us to look at a story um, that uh, captures that, probably one of the greatest stories ever told, um, and, and it even gains more weight and import in that it actually happened. This is, this is a true story. Genesis chapter 42 going forward, we'll go through quite a lot of material, but we'll read it mostly because it's a story that tells itself. Um, but the story is the story of Joseph that we know well. Um, the one who was the father's favorite, um, who had a multicolored uh, gown stitched for him uh, because he's Jacob's or Israel's favorite son. He was born in his old age, um, and so the, the father played favorites. And when later on they are testifying about him, that the father loves him because he was born in his old age, which means you should get your children in your early days. You know, most of you who are that, that's, you know. Um, yeah, because then you are very objective, you know, and you discipline them the same. If I'm bringing up a kid, that kid will be spoiled. You know that. You know, because a kid now can do no wrong in my eyes. You know, they want to walk on the ceiling. Why not? Spiders do it all the time, you know, and, and other creatures. Why, why not this? Um, so, so grandfathers and grandmothers bringing up children, I think they, they, they leave a lot of loopholes. Anyway, he's the father's favorite. But because Jacob plays favorites with Joseph, it causes him to be the object of great jealousy by his brothers. And they look at him and he becomes an enemy. And they, hate him. they start hate, really hating him. Okay? In fact, at one point it's so bad that they decide, you know what? We're going to get rid of this guy. Because, unbeknown to him, he had been having these dreams. The dreams were not of his making. They were actually from God because they would later be confirmed. And he comes to his brothers, he's innocent. The Bible says he was only 17 at that time. So what does he know? He says, this is a dream I had, you know? And it's an amazing dream. We were gathering sheaves out in the, in the, in the field, and guess what? My sheaves stood up. Then all your sheaves came and bowed down to mine. Oh, really? <laughs> and they are like, uh-huh, so what, what, what are you saying? What, what are you saying exactly? That you're going to be our ruler? And the Bible says, and they hated him even more. But the dreams continued. And in this other dream, he says, oh, I had another dream. He's not very clever at that point. You know? And he says, this time, even the sun and the moon bowed down to me. Wow. Then he goes and tells it. At this point, the father is actually upset. And he calls him and he rebukes him. And he asks him, what are you saying? That even your mother and your father... Uh, shall bow down to you? Are you going to rule over us? But the Bible also says, but the father, um, I keep forgetting how he put it, Jasmine has this word. Yes, he's told these things in his heart. He meditated over them in his heart or in his mind. He was thinking, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Anyway, because of that animosity that had been caused between the brothers and Joseph, because the father played favorites, fast forward, one day the father sends Joseph to go and look and, and, and come and report to him how the brothers are doing. They're in this large land, then they've gone a few days away to graze sheep, wherever they were. So he goes looking for them. They see him coming from afar. So they say, there comes, here comes that dreamer. We will now teach him a lesson. So, the, and, and it's not a good lesson, because they actually conspire to kill him. This murder in their heart. That's, that's how estranged they are from him. It's a scary thought when you think that these are his own brothers. Never mind their stepbrothers and, you know, and so on. But, but they are his brothers. They come from the same father. They share a household. But now they've decided, we will get rid of you. They're actually going to kill him. Joseph approaches. He's innocent. He doesn't know what's going up, uh, to happen. They, they pounce on him. A rip off the, the, the gown from him because that's the object of the father's love and they throw him 
into a cistern or into a pit. The grace of God, because the Bible notes, but the pit was empty, meaning it had been dug for water. So many times it had dried up. If there was water, the poor boy would have drowned. But it was empty. And then surprisingly, the Bible says, then they sat down to eat. <laughs> you know? <laughs> These are mafia guys. <laughs> you know? They just murdered a guy. Tough! Hmm? I passed that pastor to me. And then they are eating. Um, Reuben was concerned that they don't shed blood. He's the firstborn. He says, he's our own flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. Judah comes up with an idea. How about we sell him? Then there's a caravan of Ishmaelites coming, so they decide to sell him. And they get like 20 pieces of silver, and Joseph's journey into slavery in Egypt begins. They go back to dad, and they say, you know, here is the robe that we, find, we found. They slaughter a goat, pour blood on it, and say, you know, see if you recognize this robe. And the father cannot be, you know, um, comforted. He cries and he moans. Oh, my son, he has been torn by a wild animal. My son is no more. They would rise again and again, day in, day out, to try and console the father. But no one could console him. He was so deeply saddened. Joseph goes off to the land of Egypt, but because of the man that he is, he's sold into Potiphar's household. Potiphar is, is the one who is in charge of, of the palace guard of Pharaoh. Okay? And, and so he's the one who is in charge of the elite guard of Pharaoh. Joseph is for, sold into that house and he becomes one of the workers, one of the slaves. But the Bible records something interesting that God blessed the household of Pharaoh for the sake of his servant Joseph. And so his personality, his hard work, his integrity... Everything he touches in Pharaoh's um, household just prospers. And Pharaoh says, okay, I have not concerned myself with anything because there's something about this young man. He's hardworking, he's full of integrity, and everything he touches just, my household is doing very well. Again, you know, as fate would have it, he happens to be a good-looking guy. And, 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 and his, his wife, Potiphar's wife, looks at him, and desires him um, and, and not in a godly way. You know, she's like, you know, this dude. You know? <laughs> the Bible says he was well built. I think there's something about his physique. So she decides she's going to compromise him sexually. And she bothered him day in, day out. In fact, it's like she wore him down. All right? So one day she decides, this guy is not, you know, uh, compromisable. So how about I take matters into my own hands? So she goes into, the, she calls him into the bedroom. Then she gets hold of him. She's going to take matters into her own hands, literally. And then when he realizes now things are really getting thick, he, he, he runs off, tears off the robe that he's wearing, and she's left clutching it, meaning her hold was quite tight. He leaves her with, with the gown, and the guy takes off. And for that reason, uh, Joseph is one of the guys that we use as men, as examples of you don't have to fall into sexual temptation. It says flee from sexual temptation, you know. And, and that's what he did. He literally ran. But, you know, Potiphar's wife doesn't want to be left with the short end of the stick, so she, she cries foul, she yells and says, you know, because she's still holding the, 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 the gown and she doesn't want, she can't stand the humiliation from this Hebrew servant. And so she says, the guy was attempting to rape me, you know. And we know how those stories go. So he's defenseless. Uh, Potiphar takes him. He, can, he must have known something. Because ordinarily, Joseph would have been put to death. I mean, this is a, a Hebrew servant. But he doesn't kill him. He puts him into the dungeon. And he ends up uh, down there. And, and the guy obviously suffers, um, accused falsely of rape. He does time. He does quite a lot of time, I think. By the time he's sold into Egypt, he's 17. He's, he's just a young guy. Probably works for what? Five years? You know? Um, it doesn't state. I'm speculating here. And by the time she's spotting him and looking at him and he's thrown into jail, he's probably in his early 20s. By the time Joseph would be arising out of God's hand to become leader of uh, Egypt, he's 30. 
you know so years have gone and so he's been in the coolers for some time all right so there must have been some anger there stuff going on what's going on here sold into slavery betrayed by my own brothers you know um, at one time he had the conversation that they, they wanted to kill him then they are bargaining for him let's not kill him let's the better thing is sell me into slavery you know those years of loneliness missing home foreign culture now a slave then accused of a crime he never committed now actually in a real jail in a foreign land that must have been nasty so he's nursing deep wounds and if he's ever to forgive it is going to be quite a journey for him quite a long journey because in his eyes he'd never done anything wrong but to his brothers who was he anyway god is gracious the ability to dream continues in him all right and god follows him into jail and grants him favor again the keeper of the jail puts joseph in charge of the other prisoners He's kind of a nice guy okay and 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 one day um, pharaoh is annoyed with two people his baker and his um, cup bearer and he throws them into jail then these two guys have dreams and they come to joseph and they say this is you know they are both sad then he says what's up what's going on guys so he's looking after the welfare of the other prisoners then they talk about these dreams they've had that are disturbing tell me the dreams they tell him the dreams and then joseph looks at them and says wow this is the meaning of the dream you you are the baker for the for the king you, you'll be released but then he'll go and hang you sometimes it's good not to have the interpretation of dreams eh <laughs> So him, you still, you are going to be hanged. But you, cupbearer, you will be restored to your position of honor. So he tells the cupbearer, when you are restored, obviously there's no point of telling the baker, when, 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 when he messages Afika. Actually, the moral of the story is, is don't study pastry when you go to college. You know? The wine bearer is told, when, when Pharaoh restores you, remember me. Why? Because I shouldn't be here. I was kidnapped, that's how he puts it, kidnapped from the country of the Hebrews. And even here in jail, I have done nothing deserving wrong. Which I found interesting. Because some of us are good in, in telling our stories. Eh? You tell your story. But this is still your family. You know, and you don't know what God will do in the future. He says he was kidnapped. And, and by the time the, the time of reconciliation and forgiveness is happening, people don't know the backstory of how Joseph ended up in Egypt. But here he colors it, I was kidnapped, and then I was thrown into this place. I don't deserve to be here. The cup bearer, the baker is hanged, the cup bearer is restored. But he forgets Joseph. He's very, very human. Until one day, again, God sends another dream that requires interpretation. This time, Pharaoh has dreamt that out of the Nile have come seven magnificent, sleek, fat cows, and they're feeding on the reeds on the, side, on the bank of the Nile. But then out of the same Nile comes another emaciated, ugly-looking cows. And these ugly-looking cows come and swallow the good cows, but even after they've swallowed them, they don't, there's no change. They're still emaciated and bad-looking. Then another, a, a corn of grain, an ear, of, of grain grows up again with seven ears of grain very nice looking fat and so on and then out of the same place comes another you know um grain that is completely scorched by the east wind as the bible puts it emaciated and these grains swallow the good ones seven of them and there's still no change the pharaoh is so disturbed he says look you know you have to interpret these dreams for me. And he calls all his enchanters and his magicians. But nobody can do it. At that point, the cupbearer said, Today, I am reminded of my sins. Because when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and you put us in jail together with the baker, we, we also dreamt. And there was a young Hebrew who could interpret dreams. When we told him our dreams, it turned out exactly as he had interpreted. You hanged the, the baker and you restored me to my place of fortune. 
immediately Pharaoh says, send for the Hebrew. And the Bible says, quickly, they went, removed him from prison, went and washed him, changed his clothes, and shaved him. So he was in a state, eh? And then brought him in the presence of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh gave him his dream. And he says, I hear you have the spirit of the gods. You can interpret these dreams. He says, it is not in me. I'm not capable. But there's a God who can answer you. And this is the meaning of the dream. He says, there will be seven years of abundance and plenty more than we've ever seen in this land. And then there will follow another seven years of great famine like we have never seen. It will be so great that all the great years of, of plenty will be forgotten. So this is what Pharaoh must do. He starts to give advice. And he tells Pharaoh must choose a man of diligence and integrity to gather the grain of Egypt and put it in cities for the seven years of abundance until there is so much so that when these other years come, then we will have something to feed the nation. Otherwise, we will all starve. And Pharaoh decides, who is greater than you? You know? He's spoken in front of all the officials. Who else is greater than you who has the spirit of God? At that point, Pharaoh straight away appointed um, Joseph to become leader of Egypt. In fact, he says, only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And then he issued a decree and a command that no one will raise a hand or a foot without the command from Joseph. And the Bible says, and thus he put Egypt under Joseph's command, the entire Egypt. He removed his own ring, put it on, on Joseph's hand, and, and he removes a robe, uh, the royal robe, put it on Joseph, and then he put a gold chain on his neck, and then put him on a mount and says, you know, go ahead of him and command everybody to bow a knee before Joseph. And so, from prison, Joseph was elevated to the highest position of command in the land of Egypt. So this is where we meet the story. That, that's the back story. So in, in chapter um, 41, towards the very end, then I'll go to 42, Joseph may have thought he has dealt with the past. It's been many years. And look, God has been good to him. You know, now suddenly he's in charge of Egypt. He's in control. Surely the past is behind him. All right? At the same time, Pharaoh took um, a young lady uh, by the name of Potiphera. She was the, the daughter of the priest of On. Again, it's, it's a high position. And he gave this girl to um, Joseph as a wife. Okay? And so Joseph gets married at the same time. Now he's, um, he's 30 years of, of, of age at that point. And they get two children. Okay? And, and here, let me just read verse 50 of chapter 41. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. What is the meaning of Manasseh? For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship." And all my father's house. So in other words, the past is behind me. Okay? I've forgotten the difficulties that I went through. I've forgotten my hardships. I've even forgotten the house of my father. This is now home. I now have a family. I look after my children. I'm looking forward to what God is going to do. Then, the name of the second he called Ephraim. Why? What does it mean? For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Okay? So it's been a painful place for him to be. He calls it the land of his affliction. But God has flipped things over and he has made me fruitful. So the past is behind me. I've even prospered. So looking forward to more fruitfulness. Everything is behind me. And sometimes we feel that way. You know? I've dealt with these matters before God. You know, I feel I'm in a good place. Have you ever said that? I'm in a good place. I'm looking forward to the future. You know, things are really... And you've done serious business with God. And, and you know that God has, has repaid you for the evil or the sins or, or the pain that you have faced. 
and, and you're feeling, I'm okay. I think I can, I'm, I'm okay. I'm looking forward to the future. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And you can say that with much confidence. Until something happens and it triggers the past. Hey, then you realize, Hiya, there are my things who I didn't know. I thought I had moved on. I thought I was okay. And, and, and Joseph even names his children after how he's feeling at this point. And I want to say this. Forgiveness for us at a human level is a journey. Okay? It's a journey. And we must honor that journey. And we must walk that journey. And we must go to those dark and painful places that we don't seek to revisit. And we must acknowledge what happened to us. We must acknowledge the injustice. We must acknowledge the pain. We must acknowledge the suffering. We must acknowledge that many things of who we have become is a result of what happened to us. Only with that kind of honesty can we truly say, I'm now at a place to forgive. And we will see this. Because forgiveness must be based on truth. You can't avoid it. You can't wish it away. You can't avoid it and say, you know, nothing really happened. Oh, it wasn't that bad. You can't diminish it. It must be based on truth. And so, despite naming his children that way, let's see the story. When Jacob learned, in, I'm now in chapter 42, and, and I'll just go through the material. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Okay? That one you can translate direct into your mother tongue and it will make a lot of sense. <laughs> you know. Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So the famine has gone all the way to Canaan. It's very widespread. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers. He feared that harm might happen to him. So, Demze, Jacob, is still traumatized about Joseph's incident. So he's clung to Benjamin, who is the only blood brother in terms of mother and, and, and father of Joseph, the last born. So he's clinging to him. He's like, the love he had for Joseph, he transferred now to his youngest brother, Benjamin, and he's hanging in there. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So the prophecy has started being fulfilled. They don't even know it's him. But they are there and they are bowing to him. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers. But, he did, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And you can imagine now looking at them, bowing to him. They don't even know it's him then he can go back and remember the dreams and what those dreams cost him. Why he's where he is now. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. We are honest men. We are good men. Hardworking men, you know. Uh, <laughs> your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the, of the land that you have come to see or the weaknesses of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man, and in the land of Canaan, uh, one man in the land of Canaan, and behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Oh, really? <laughs> I wonder who that is, he's saying. I wonder who that is. But Joseph said to them, it is I, as I said to you, you are spies. By this, you shall be tested. This is the journey. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. 
or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. So the journey has really begun. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry, the, um, carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you will not die. Now, this is the nightmare that they had feared. And they said, and they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen to him. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there, there comes a reckoning for his blood. When you have not been forgiven, the enemy has a way of turning every disaster and mishap against you. You see things from a point of guilt and fear. Anything that happens, this is many years down the road. They are still referring back to what they did to their brother. We saw the distress. This is why this is happening to us. And the enemy will find ways of locking you in prisons of fear and prisons of guilt. And that's why the hard work of forgiveness must be done. And we say forgiveness is not free. Yes, it costs the forgiver. But it also releases that, the, the forgiven person from what? From the fear and from the guilt and from the shame of what they did. Otherwise, they'll always be diminished and less than they should have been. They will never be able to move forward. I'm saying this because when it comes to the work of forgiveness... We have been both perpetrators and recipients of unforgiveness. So we are on both sides of the divide. We are in need of being forgiven for things we have done and being released from fear and from guilt and from shame. But we are also afflicted because we ourselves have been sinned against and we can live in anger and unforgiveness and vengeance and a desire to hit back at somebody. And here you can see the brothers are not free. Many years down the road, they are thinking now whatever is happening is because of what they did to their brother. The Bible says they did not know that Joseph understood them. Why? Because he used an interpreter. So he is speaking in, in, in Egyptian uh, tongue and using an interpreter, they speak in Hebrew, they, it's interpreted back to him. But of course, he's a Hebrew. He can understand every word they're saying. Then he turned away from them and wept. He thought he was okay. But now something has happened to Trigger. Because he has had them discussing the matter of his trauma and how they treated him. They have even said, remember how he pleaded with us. We sinned against him. God is demanding his blood from us. And hearing this conversation triggers all the emotions and all the pain and all the injustice and he weeps. Because Joseph must deal with that reality. And much as he said, the Lord has caused me to forget my hardships, they're not quite forgotten. They're locked up in there waiting for a trigger. And now his reaction probably surprises him. He turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. It's partly probably because of that emotion at that time. Oh, you remember what you did to me, Kujapa, Funga Wiyu. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Joseph's heart at a human level is remarkably forgiving and very, very gracious. And every time he returns their money, because he doesn't want anything from them, not in a bad way, but they are his brothers and he wants the survival of his family. So though they pay, they always find their money has been returned. 
Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been returned to me. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. So everything is a cause of fear. Even the good that is done to you will cause you fear. Somebody wants to bless you, this is a trap. This is, this is a trap. Their hearts failed them and they turned and they turned trembling to each other saying, what is this that God has done to us? They can't see anything good. And the enemy thrives in those circumstances. That is his playing ground. Where there is fear, where things have not been talked over, where truth is still lacking, where they're still living under this shadow that Joseph is dead, though they know they sold him into slavery and they lied to the father that he's no more. So the enemy takes a foothold and now is going to run that show. They are trembling, though money has been returned to them. They cannot see anything good. They think that this is a trap. When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is the lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to, the spy, to be spies of the land. But we, we, we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And see, they have to keep repeating, one is no more. Because that's the lie they told. Then the man said, the Lord of the land said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to take, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol or to the grave. So up to this moment, before the work of forgiveness is done, things are looking even darker for the family. And, and, so, and we want to recognize this because we say forgiveness is a journey. And, and, and sometimes we are afraid to walk down those dark tunnels where it all started, where it all went down. Because you don't know how the outcome will be. Are you going to be opening old wounds? Who can you confront? Who can you discuss honestly? How will they react? And there is fear about walking down that. Some things that happened are so painful, you don't want to go back there. And it does appear that if you do, things will seem to get worse before they get better. But forgiveness is your duty as a believer. It's expected of you and it is required of you by the Heavenly Father. And what we need is both courage and faith to walk down that journey and let God take care of the fallout. Because it needs to get done. So at this point, things look rather dark. For the family. The father is even more wounded. More sons seems to be required than what he can, you know, um, afford. And, and again, there are no tangible results as far as this is concerned. He doesn't know how it will end. So it's a statement of faith. And even you don't know. And this is where, I, and I like what Judy told us, you know, it's a call to obedience. You know, that because God has said so, then I can trust that when I obey, in the end, in the end, it shall go well with me and it shall go well with my family in the end. 
But the journey may look rough. It may even look like you made a mistake um, to start walking down that journey. But God requires it of us. So the men took this present and they took... Um, sorry, uh, he, he says this. Um, then their father Israel said to them... Sorry, I, I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. Chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said... <laughs> The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So Joseph made quite an impact on these brothers. It's one thing to be told, don't come back. But when I tell you, you will not see my face, things are a bit more serious. So they are scared to go back. And they knew that he meant exactly what he said. So he will not be persuaded to go back without Benjamin because he doesn't know what will happen down there. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? You know, who asked you whether you have a brother? You could just have kept quiet. You would not have known. He doesn't know the backstory. They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? <laughs> and Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And there's a whole story here which begins what I would call the redemption of Judah. And, and, and we don't have time to tell that. But it's a beautiful story how he begins his journey back uh, from being the one who would say, let's sell him to one who will now literally act as a kingsman redeemer. Okay? If we had not delayed, we would now have returned even twice. Then his father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do it. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, some gum, some myrrh, some pistachios, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that you returned in the mouth of your sons. So he really wants to show that these men are men of integrity. The money that was returned has to be paid back. So, you know, so they don't want to make any mistakes. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me... If I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. So I, I think there's a place that even Jacob needs to reach where he lets go. You know? And gives his blessing. And, and, and I think sometimes God puts us in circumstances where we have to depend on him 100%. We are afraid of the journey of forgiveness. We are afraid of the results that it will bring. We don't know what the outcomes are. And as humans, we are not good at that. We don't like outcomes that we don't control. You know, you don't know how somebody's reaction is. And you must come to a point where you completely trust God. You say, God, this is what your word says. I'm willing to forgive. Please take care of whatever comes out of this. And I pray that on the other side, somehow you'll work it out that there will be a reconciliation. Somehow you will work it out. So you don't need to know all the answers on this side. But you need to trust the heart of God that he will never lead you to a path where he himself is unable to redeem you and to reach you. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. 
The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money. Nilijua tu. Sinilikuambia. Which was placed in our sacks the very first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So this is a planned attack. Nikubaya. That's why they look at each other on Ambia. It's been an honor of being your brother, you know, because this thing is going down badly. Yeah? Again, the enemy does not lack options of keeping us in prisons of fear. Everything that happens, you just see a conspiracy because the work of forgiveness has not happened as yet. Even an innocent gesture looks like a trap to you. Looks like something that is lining to attack. This happened to Jacob many years ago when he was returning back to the land of Canaan and he was told that Esau, your brother, <laughs> who you conned, remember him, is coming to meet you and with him are 300 men. Literally what it was, it was a welcome party. He couldn't believe his brother has come back. But Jacob was convinced. He has brought these guys, they will attack us and the children, this is the end. Because of fear and because of guilt. He had not been released from that by Esau. Until they met, and the Bible says, you know, they met and Esau embraced his brother and kissed him and cried over him. He had released him a long time ago, but this guy didn't know. So here they are, ushered into the presence of Joseph's own house. A whole animal has been killed. They are to dine with him. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. Let's finish this matter of money before we get in. And they said, oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Let's clear this thing. I even have the money here. He replied, listen to this. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they are guests now. At this point, they are being treated like royalty. They prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should be eating bread together. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him on the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. So overcome by emotion, he looked for a quick exit, and he went into an inner chamber. He didn't cry, he wept. So, so the emotions are still raw inside of him. He thought he had moved on. He had done business with God. God had been good to him. But he's very human. And the very trigger of seeing his baby brother here unharmed and well. A well of emotions just overcomes him. The dam breaks. He has to leave the room. He has to go and weep. And, and, and this, this is the journey. This is the journey of forgiveness. This is how it looks like. We may need to weep over things that have happened to us. Over people that God is asking us to forgive because of what they have done. And the mere thought of releasing them causes you tears. Because you promised some time back that when you meet them, you will strangle them slowly. You know? Died of asphyxia. You know? That's what you'd like the autopsy to read. Because of what they did to you or the pain that you feel. 
but God requires a release. And the mere thought of it overwhelms you and you cry. He has to go on in, into an inner chamber and he has to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he has to put himself together. Then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself. These are the raw human emotions. He said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. In other words, he ordered them according to their, to their birth, from the oldest to the youngest. And the men looked at each other in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as that of theirs. And they drank and they were merry with him. So consider with me that there is a journey ahead that needs to be walked. And it's not a journey of denial, it's not a journey of avoidance, it's not a journey of belittling what happens, it's a journey of acknowledgement. Is a journey of, of, of recognizing that we, work, we need to walk in obedience down that road so that our healing can be true healing. Because it must be based on truth. What actually happened? A recalling, sometimes a retelling, and then a vocalized forgiveness that releases you from anger and bitterness and vengeance and also releases the forgiven party of fear and shame and guilt, the prison under which they have walked all these years. And they need freedom. May God give us courage, humility, and faith to walk our own journey of forgiveness. You go home and begin your journey of forgiveness. Retrace your steps and, and consider what happened in great detail. If you need to go to your inner chamber and cry out and weep, do it. Do it and weep for the injustices that were done, maybe to a little girl, a little boy, if that's when it happened. You know, weep for that spouse, you know, that was left. Weep for that, you know, son that you are, who never got closure or that daughter who never bonded with the mother or was abandoned, weep for that child. That's the only way that you can acknowledge that journey and walk it in truth. Not avoiding, not belittling, but acknowledging before God. And next week, we'll see how God brings closure to this journey. Amen.